The liberals are destroying California and conservative humor gone awry. Conservative humor gone awry is going to fascist California today. So stay tuned. We're going to take a few pictures of the desert and how their policies are actually messing it up. It's not beautiful when you go across that border. But stay tuned, guys. We'll show you exactly Okay, all right. I'm Alexander Edward. And I'm Tony Boswell. And we are Minion Death Cult. The world is ending. Uh, anarchy is responsible. We're Still. documenting it. Uh, what's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, supporting the show, helping us do this thing. I'm so excited to talk about uh, episode two of The Anarchists. Here to help us do that is AP Andy. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Anarchy reigns. Viva la anarchia. Now, I don't know if you've you're like public with your uh, your leftist tendency. Um, I you know you've you've written a book. You've written like the text on Posadism. I don't I don't think you're a Posadist. No. No. Okay. Are are you an anarchist? Do you feel comfortable like picking picking a lane here? I think most Marxists or like normal people would, if they heard my politics, they would say I'm an anarchist, but I don't consider myself an anarchist. Oh, okay. That sounds like, that's about, a really cool answer. Yeah. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column C. That's how I like yeah. to put it. Yeah. I like that. What? Um, but I do I, I, want yeah. there to be a proletarian dictatorship. Okay. I'm not You're watching this though. Anarchist. If the choice, if my choices are anarchists or Poseidus, then, uh, then you know, Poseidus away. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Poseidus yeah. is where you, uh, you believe in the teachings of Poseidon, I believe. A, a lot Pos of this stuff was happening just off the coast of Acapulco. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, what are your feelings, Andy, about uh, the anarchists? And I wanted to, you know, the the TV show, The Anarchists. It's kind of, you know, obviously like a a. Uh, a bit of a misnomer calling these people anarchists, you know, seeing as how they're like very obviously right wing libertarians. Um, a, what's your take on these people just generally, you know, before we get into the episode and B, is there room for a right wing Posadism? Okay. I'll take your uh, first question first. Um, I love the anarchists. I love all the colorful characters. Mm -hmm. I love John Galton and Juan Galt and mm -hmm. Jane Galt and Gina Galt and you know all all the beautiful anarchists. I love Axiom um, Freeman. That's my favorite guy. Little kid. Yeah. You know, she didn't say much, but I was a big fan of I Rebel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I Rebel was a was a pretty good character to me. Um, and I'm I'm having a good time watching the show especially comparing this group of anarchists uh to the anarchists i've known who are you know left-wing anarchists and like their little convention and utopia compared to like the crime thick convergence that i've been to or like communist camps or that kind of thing um and you know there's some similarities and there's some differences and i am not going to gatekeep anarchy i'm not going to say that they're not real anarchists or whatever um you know, there there is an egoist and individualist strain in anarchism that comes goes all the way back to the first international. 
And you could just say that Murray Rothbard's anarcho-capitalism was not like a sincere continuation of the strain of Benjamin Tucker and Lysander Spooner. But again, this is like really nerdy gatekeeping. And uh, I think in the way those guys are anarchists, um, but mostly not in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, they are anarchists. For They are real anarchists, and that's bad, is what you're saying. Yeah, but, you know, I really like... The, you know, like the when when real anarchists like crime think anarchists get together and they show like what their society is going to be like by having a camp or something like that. Um, it, it's not like if there's an HBO documentary about that, people would be like, oh, anarchism's cool. I like anarchism. Like people <laughs> might like might like certain parts of it. But we're talking about, um, you know, still a pretty subcultural, marginal, weird, you know, group of people that I think people would still make fun of. And, you know, like when the, the news story broke that, I don't want to spoil it, but I think we all know that uh, a violent crime is committed in Anarchopocal in a future episode. Um, no one knew that, like, the anarchist who got killed was, like, a right-wing or a left-wing anarchist. They were just like, oh, an anarchist got killed. That's funny. Like, they didn't need the context. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, a sensational news story. So I think that, like, the anarchists, you know, uh, of my world trying to distance themselves from this show don't understand that, like, most people just kind of see us as the same thing, which is yeah. a problem. But also, like, if they were dumpster diving and smashing windows instead of using the Bitcoin ATM and, and selling Coke out of, like, a nice hotel room... I don't know that people would be any more sympathetic. Yeah, I um it's funny because I see this documentary. So one thing I learned and let me see if I can really quickly pull up uh the, my my benefactor, my my personal benefactor for this information. Um I recently learned that the documentarian Todd was like sympathetic to Lily and John, mm -hmm. they are still friends with Lily because somebody sent me Lily's Instagram and I don't want to blow her up. I don't want to blow up her spot or whatever, but, um, uh, I can't find it at the moment. So apologies. Uh, somebody sent me her Instagram and I was like, Oh, this is fascinating. Like she's still under the kind of under the radar. Not a lot of people are like following her or commenting on her stuff she's doing uh the like aerial ribbon dancing stuff you know like circus type stuff which is cool totally um, totally yeah of course she is and all the comments are like positive like oh we you know we love you lily or like great job on the show and i'm like searching through the comments to find like more people and juan galt is in there mm -hmm. um and i also found this person who is, and again, I, I really should have had this pulled up before we started recording, but um, the person who is doing the sound recording for Todd, the filmmaker, that we're introduced to in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I believe her name is Kim, K-Y-M, something like that. Well, that is Todd's wife. She's not introduced as such in the episode, but that's Todd's wife. I found her because she was leaving like positive affirmations on Lily's like modern Instagram. She's like, I love you. You're doing so good. And I was like, oh shit, this is a person who's married to the filmmaker. And then I started looking through her Instagram and it's all libertarian stuff. It's all, 
like in the in the vax mandate in medical fascism uh school choice it's it's all of this like um sort of nebulous politics like like new age quote hippie politics it's really pretty vaguely right wing you know which mm -hmm. i feel like is emblematic of this right wing anarchist movement especially as it applies to people who are even more like in the spirit of anarchism in this show like lily and john who are pr the closest things to mm -hmm. in my mind like practicing anarchists um who don't have like a defined enough politics still to uh pick a side essentially between individualism and the this sort of like communal spirit of anarchism yeah and this is funny this episode is kind of where like that kind of starts to show because at this point i feel like this documentary is now um i mean it's it's hard to do a documentary when you're around people for so long and keep it you know maintain your journalistic integrity uh but that kind of does start to dwindle in this episode but it not not you know it doesn't make it any less less good less enjoyable um, but I, I, it's funny because you're talking about that whole that whole mentality and that they touch on this this episode um, kind of like, you know, like the like the woo woo stuff, you know, the granola, the, you know, the holistic stuff that gets tapped in here. Um, I actually had a friend. I was like, hey, you should watch this show kind of to be like, hey, you're you're so close to looking like this. I want you to know how close <laughs> you are to looking like this. Well, I was shocked because. I I was like shocked to see people who made this documentary still communicating with Lily on good terms. Yeah. I was like, okay, I guess Lily isn't like as aware as self-aware as I thought she was because she comes off like fairly intelligent and competent on the show and like she doesn't put up with a lot of stuff, you know? And I was like, I guess she's like less aware than I thought because she's falling for these filmmakers like overtures of friendliness or whatever and then i go through their mm -hmm. instagram and it's like no they're it's they real. are like that so then how do how does the product that i'm watching wind up on tv like how how are they how did they expect this to make their brand of anarchism look good i think it made i think it did make lily's brand of anarchism look good and it makes Lily look sympathetic. Sympathetic, but not, I not functional. Yeah. Oh, totally not functional. But that's because it got ruined by by other people. Not, I like I said, I think Lily is sympathetic here. I don't even think John's is sympathetic here. <laughs> I, I'm not I past the. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I'm not past the. I've started the fourth episode, so I'm not as far as maybe you are. But um, at this point, she does look like the most sympathetic character. Yeah. Um, it you know I think on the second episode they're starting to talk about anarcho folco right. Forco. Forco. Yeah. yeah. Anarcho folco is what I would call it. That I'd bring all the folk punk fans down, but uh, be, she's gonna sick. do yeah she's gonna do anarcho forco, and I feel like they portray this as uh, you know staying true to the anarchist spirit against the corporate and political and elitist and celebrity bootlicking. Uh, conference so i i feel like she so far she's the hero and i think it's in the second episode where she's like 
going through the market and buying meat, which is the only time you really see um, one of these people like interacting in Mexican culture in any meaningful way, except for going to that vegan restaurant, which I yeah. love. Um, no, that's that's in the first episode. I'm only saying it because that's when she's talking about how her one of her only skills she had was cooking. Oh, so okay. she had to cook, and and what's funny, we didn't talk about that part in the episode, but. That part's really funny because she, what if you look at the food, it's pretty like mediocre food, but it's very Western food. It's very American food. And it was so it was just like, you know, seared meats, like very basically done. And everyone was steaks, like, yeah. they were like, oh, you have like the good food. And it very much yeah. was like, oh, this is food from home. But yeah, that was when she was still uh, they, they still had to hustle the uh, hustle, the meats. Well, no, that's also in episode two. Episode two is when she starts talking about her her enterprise her skills, of cooking yeah. food for people in her house and it's just yeah she's just like frying steaks <laughs> and they, i mean they look good and greasy you know because it was probably yeah. like fresh meat or whatever um but yeah people were like <laughs> people were like wow damn finally some good food here in Acap- <laughs> acapulco yeah yeah <laughs> it's like it's just a steak like I'm, you could get this shit with actual seasoning on it at five other places within walking distance. It's because they're know? omnivores, but they're only allowed to eat at that yeah. vegan restaurant because that's the only place that takes Bitcoin. It's that vegan restaurant and then her steaks, and that's all everyone eats. <laughs> and and okay. you, you know they just only eat shrimp cocktail everywhere. They just only get shrimp cocktail everywhere they go, and they're just so sick of shrimp cocktail. All right, let's get into the episode, okay? Uh, the episode starts off with a bang uh, because it starts off introducing a new character who I think should have been the main character this whole time. Uh, we have Paul Propert, a military mm-hmm. veteran with PTSD who is transporting the world's first Bitcoin ATM from Pennsylvania to Acapulco. And just again, obviously the MVP of this series. Yeah, yeah. And, and not it, only is he doing this, he's apparently, and I mean, I have no indication otherwise, he's apparently doing his own narration throughout. And I just want to play the first bit of narrate self narration we get from Paul Propert. My adventure began with a land who was already drained of life energy by the parasitical empire. Forced to seek a better reality, I journey far, searching for people worth calling my tribe. This quest was never about my comfort or well-being. I fully understand I am the broken and damaged beyond repair traveler, sent to protect those with a fighting chance. I'm a beast born in the violence of a dead paradigm. I'm the obsolete tool of a world that must give way for the new. I never harbored any illusion of surviving until the end. Amazing. Uh, I never harbored any illusion of surviving until the end. I.e., I'm uh, probably going to kill myself. So remember, this what this guy is doing is he he has a like a, a a converted bus, one of those half buses that he's you know drives around in and kind of lives in. He has an, an ATM in the in the back of this, a Bitcoin ATM in the back of this, and is transporting to Acapulco. That's what he's doing. If you listen to this, you'd think that he was like um like Constantine and like had to like save the world from demons and like you know was willing to like give everything he had to do it. But no, he's just transferring a an ATM from point A to point B, which is still pretty dicey. But um yeah, you can tell his brand definitely makes it a bit 
bit dicier. Well, he's talking like <clears throat> he's talking like he's uh, Clive Owen in Children of Men. There really. it is. Yeah, yeah. And it and it makes sense when you think about you know what Bitcoin is and the yeah. possibilities that Bitcoin represents uh, to the world. It is kind of like the the first child being yeah. born after after a decade of of stagnancy within fiat currency it's like this is this is the miracle that happened and it needs to be protected at all costs and all again, these, it's a bitcoin atm all these cash atms they they they've been they've been stagnant and barren but this is is finally making life through the the baby that is bitcoin there, um, there's a I'd nice yeah, uh, go ahead. there's a nice contrast between him and I think it's Nathan, like one of the main Anarcho-Poco conference leaders who I think early in the episode says like, you know, a big thing of what we're trying to do here is make everybody rich because everybody wants to be rich. So they're going to like our politics more if they're rich. And so they're attracting a lot of increasingly more crypto people, more Bitcoin people. Um, But they're also attracting people who are like have a screw loose and get attracted to this stuff because they're, you know, they've fallen out of society in some way. In Paul's case, seems like he has PTSD from being in the army. Um, and so he becomes like this foot soldier, like transporting the Bitcoin ATM to them, uh, like thinking that this is like his hero's journey. But when he gets there, everybody kind of like doesn't want anything to do with him because he's too fucked up and he's not like a, you know, a rich day trader. Yeah, he's not a good poster child for what they're trying to do in Anarchopoco, which is, again, like, make as much money as possible. Um, <clears throat> we said this on the last episode, but, um, yeah, you're totally right. It it attracts these, like, grifters and businessmen and, and like, uh, crypto guys and, and Silicon Valley guys, um, you know, this, like, utopia, this capitalist and cap utopia they're trying to build and then everybody else it attracts are people who just like aren't all there because like you would have to not be all there to not be a crypto guy not be a wealthy guy not be a silicon valley guy and still want to come to this place yeah because what they like you have like you're you're going to be even worse than a second class citizen in in this place this place is like about wealth and about building more wealth and if you don't have the wealth like what are you doing here it's exactly like religion in that oftentimes you know the people who are most comfortable in it are either like have some privilege like even you know even like you know like john lily they were able to get like money wired from their family they had a little bit of help but then you can have like true believers who are just desperate and that's that's going to be this guy that's going to be your paul's you know who are just yeah. like true believers, but are like, I'm, and there's a couple of people who are like, I'm going to sacrifice everything to get here. And that's different. I love, uh, you know, we're, I'm going to, I want to move on, but I love his, uh, some of like his dialogue. Like, oh, so I, le- good. I left the soulless decay of stagnating empire to see if perhaps this time I could find my tribe. <laughs> I like, and he's like, I, I was sent to protect those who would survive the apocalypse. Like I hear that and I'm like, Oh shit. Like we got ourselves a sheepdog. This guy's a fucking sheepdog. And the sheep is wary of the sheepdog because he looks so much like the wolf. (laughs) And also he has an explosively violent temper and gets super drunk all the time. Super (laughs) drunk all the time. I like, especially for minion death call. It's very appropriate that 
they often dramatize uh, these uh, segments of his voiceover by having him type it out on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. have <laughs> screenshots of posts that he apparently did. Like, because there's there's uh, there's posts that you see on screen that aren't narrated by him. So I'm led to believe like these are actual missives that he's that he's sending out through Facebook or Twitter. Um, okay, so now, uh, yeah, we get Jeff. Jeff, who is uh, the the main speaker, one of the main organizers. You know, we talked a little about him, a lot about him, rather, last last episode. And he's talking to the camera, and he's, uh, you know, he's describing, like, um, Anarchapoco 2017 and, like, what his main message is and what, what the mission is. And he says, uh, you know, one of my main messages is that everyone no one excluded can change the world i mean look at jesus and it's like i stop right there and i'm like dude jesus mm -hmm. was the son of god like he kind of had a leg up like he that's not a very good example of someone coming from like humble beginnings changing the world you know well when he when he's doing that he is trying to like make himself analogous to jesus he's like dude he yes. says sound familiar he's like sound familiar it's like oh I, shit, I, dude, this, and he has this fuck the face he has on. Oh my god! The second time I watched this, that's when I realized he was comparing himself to Jesus. Yeah, because yeah, I'm gonna read this whole quote, and then we can revisit parts of it. But he says, you know, and he's talking about Jesus, and he's like, listen, I don't know if he was real or not, but if he was, look at what he did. Which I like. I like that argument. Look at what this guy who maybe didn't exist did. He was an anarchist. He said fuck the government and he only got angry and violent at central bankers mm -hmm. yep. sound and then he goes sound familiar and i thought he meant like oh that sounds like anarchy or whatever but he's talking about himself he says yeah, sound familiar and him. he's like, i guess we'll see what happens he means like i guess we'll see if i get crucified yep yep uh you know he also might have seen the story of jesus as told by andrew Lloyd weber and jesus christ superstar the film adaptation where Jesus and the disciples drive through the desert on a yellow school bus. <laughs> I've not seen that. Wow. How appropriate. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's Jesus and he's a hippie and it just fucking rocks. Um, That's I love, Paul, yeah. But yeah. Like Paul would, but that Paul, Paul <coughs> does not think he's Jesus. Paul thinks he's um like an arch, an archangel. Oh. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I love, yeah, Jesus, oh, yeah, Jesus was an anarchist. Like, I, I love, like, everybody, you know, oh, Jesus was a communist, Jesus was a socialist, you're both wrong. Uh, he was an anarchist, actually. He said, fuck the government, which is, uh, I don't, I think he actually said, uh, obey the government, <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure. Um, and then I love, he only got angry and violent at central bankers. You know, that thing we had in Ju in Judea or wherever the fuck Jesus was. And I don't think he got, I think what he's referencing is like, you know, when he flipped the tables, but that wasn't because of banking. That was because of like gambling, like in like a house of worship, which is like, they were, that's, no, they were, they were money changing, yeah. which is banking, well, but yeah, they were doing it inside of a temple. But what I'm getting at though was like, he's saying central bakers, but what he's doing is what they were probably doing. Like what he's doing is probably a lot closer to whatever the money exchanging was happening that Jesus got mad at. Uh, it's probably a lot closer to that. Because he did have the whole line of like you got to give you know got to give to Rome when it's Rome's, so central bakers he was probably cool with because they like you know exchange 
Oh, he probably means like, oh, they were central bankers uh, because they were Jewish. Oh, 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 yeah, you're That's you're totally right. Yeah, you're totally right. I was thinking way too hard about that. You know those <laughs> central bank, like the yeah. ones that are Jewish. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, there's. Um, I mean, he didn't like that the temple became a marketplace and the, you know, the financial ties of the temple to the Roman Empire. He thought that the temple should be Jewish and the empire is going to be empire and those things should be sort of separate. But he also said to his disciples uh, in Matthew 19, 21, 24, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Actually, it's it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He just fucking said it right there. He said, if you're rich, yeah. you're going to hell. You know? I love how that it's kind of a non segue, but I love how that quote kind of reads like a like a Rodney Dangerfield bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that was a yeah. that was a banger joke at the time. It's like a camel. You gotta... is, you're not going to get it through there. I tell you, it's hard. It's hard, folks, for, <laughs> for a rich man to enter heaven. The, the thing about him, though, is the loophole is that, yeah, he might be rich, but remember, he's also Jesus, who did go to heaven. So as long as you're Jesus, too, you're fine. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, as long as you are the Jesus. Um, okay, so we get, um, you know, a little more uh, info on what Anarchapoco 2017 is supposed to be about. Uh, Nathan Freeman, who is the guy, once again, doing all the work, <laughs> uh, he, uh, he says they're shifting focus in 2017 uh, for the goal to be to make everyone filthy rich, like you said, Andy, and to accumulate wealth in this, uh, in this planned community because, hey, people like wealth. Uh, and we're going to attract more people if, if, if we show that we can be wealthy here. Um, to contrast that, uh, John and Lily don't know what they're going to do to survive. They don't have any money uh, and they apparently they do not want to work regular jobs. Uh, so they start selling edibles in the community and uh, hosting dinner nights at their apartment like we uh, alluded to previously. Is this where you got your idea for Everybody Eats, Tony? Yeah, it, this is I mean, this is it seems like they were from. doing it first in 2017. Yeah, yeah I, I saw it. I saw it on their, um, oh, what's their on stupid, steam um, their, on their steam it. I saw it on their steam it. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. They like, they like have food and they like sell it to people, which is what I'm, which is what I'm doing. You know, it's yeah. that simple. Uh, they so they do start writing for Steemit, which is a blog site that pays crypto. It's like Reddit, but it pays you crypto for every upvote. So it's just like, imagine a worse Reddit. <laughs> imagine yeah. imagine a Reddit that is like that is actually destroying the world. You know, um, it's I, I think it's called Steemit because that's what they're doing to like the natural lakes and rivers uh, by mining for crypto for the website. They're uh, turning them into steam. They're also doing that to the wrinkles in your brain. They are steaming it and just <laughs> flattening those out. <laughs> and this is where Paul Propert came from. Uh, he followed them on Steemit and uh, decided to come to Anarchapoco and, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Document his own journey on this uh, on this crypto blogging website. And I, I have another uh, sound clip from from uh, Paul here. My name is Paul. I'm a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm now an anarchist. I consider myself a peaceful person, but I will not hesitate to crush skulls to defend myself. 
I uh, I had that written down in my notes, and you know I, I watched this episode last week because I didn't know when we were going to cover it, and then when I was revisiting the episode for uh, you know for this recording session, I saw that in my notes and I thought it was just like a lazy joke I wrote down. Uh, it was only after watching it uh, that where he says, I consider myself a peaceful person, but I will not hesitate to crush skulls if need be. I was, oh no, he actually said, he actually did the meme. Yeah, he says he's a hippie warrior. Yeah, he's a battle hippie. Right. Battle hippie. Which is kind of badass. I'm not I kind of liked part of that. Yeah, the energy was yeah. kind of cool. Um, not, well, to, not to spoilers, yeah. not to spoilers, but he says, I will not hesitate to crush skulls. Well, like, I mean, just you, the foreshadowing on this guy is clearly he's like going to get into something. And at one point, one of his friends does get their skull crushed uh, as a result <laughs> of their carelessness, does actually get his head crushed uh, by mm. by uh, by, um, I don't know, hippie warrioring all over Acapulco. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, tur- it turns out, yeah, there were also other hippie warriors in the yeah. town of Acapulco who, <laughs> who responded also, in kind. Also would crush, literally, like, literally crush the skull. Yeah. Uh, and so in addition to him documenting his journey uh, with, you know, photographs, um, he's also posting, like, art to his Steemit page yeah. uh, in the form of single panel comics. Um. These are these are pretty amazing. Like they're they they remind me of uh like Tom goes to the mayor art style <laughs> because they're photographs of him and his buddy like posing, doing poses and then sort of with a newspaper type filter put over them, a cutout effect and then placed onto like a different background, placed onto like a dystopic background in this case. Um, the comic I have here is uh, him and his him and his buddy, and the the top sort of narr- narrative part of the comic says uh, uh, it's, it's kind of cut off, but it says uh, they're after the apocalypse. Uh, they're trying to get back to their favorite pastime, partying. And the guy on the left says, uh, "Where's the za, bro?" And he's firing a gun into the air. Uh, he's he's got dreadlocks and he's got a bandana around his face. And uh, he's holding an empty pizza box in the other hand while he's firing the gun. And then there's um, a, a cursing speech bubble as well. So he's like discovered that he doesn't have any pizza and he's mad. Um, the second guy, which I, I think is Paul maybe, is wearing like one of those snowboard beanies with a with a brim on it. Oh, yeah, also totally wearing a bandana. A beanie, yeah. And he says, forget the pizza, dude. We are dankrupt, almost out of booze. And the chicks are all ghouls now. Oh, no, dude. This is my worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, if I woke up one day and I was bankrupt, out of booze, and all the chicks were ghouls. Oh, dude. <laughs> and I didn't have pizza. Oh, forget oh, about it. I'm just uh, opening up the, cig- the cigar box to see how my investments are doing. Oh, my God. They're all gone. <laughs> I'm bankrupt. <laughs> Dankrupt is such a good a good t- I think I've never heard it but we instantly knew what it meant. It's really good. I I mean, I kind of love this comic. It's like it's well it looks good. The joke the jokes, you know, they're for a specific demographic but they land uh and the artwork's not bad either. And he's got a little logo 
uh, that is adultish angry battle hippies. That's that's the oh, name of his comic. Yeah. yeah. So I really wish Paul had just kind of focused on this. Maybe there's a, a certain kind of aesthetic and and sensibility that the posts that they show from Paul and from Lily and John um, really brings me back to like this era of the internet. Not that it was very long ago, but just that alternate reality of like the, the libertarian anarchists, the voluntarists on Facebook, like slightly before they all became Nazi. I mean, they're already on their way at this point. Uh, But yeah, it's like a very unique. It's it's this kind of mid aesthetic. It's like, I don't know. It's not hip. It's not uh, corporate. It's this, it's this sort of DIY blandness that like, uh, I think the Ron Paul Relovution logo always summed up for me. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of that in the series of uh, sort of clip art branded anarchism, um, which again, you know, I'm not saying that like punk anarchism is so much better. That's like the DIY I mean, visually and paste it is. aesthetic. Like 100%. I like it. Yeah. But it's, it's like this kind of punk aesthetic that's not for everyone. Uh, I think the the real evolution stuff might have more appeal. I'm not sure. Well, the whole the whole thing about this this art style is that you know before you hate on it because I want to hate on it automatically, but the different they're doing it, they're they're use they're working within their means and they're putting something out, and you got to respect that. Yeah, I do. You yeah, got to respect absolutely. that. You know, I I never put out a a, a comic panel. Uh, yeah, the, <clears throat> it it looks actually a lot better than the stuff I've seen because yeah, the clip art like comic stuff that scans to me that is more reminiscent of like even lower effort south park stuff like the way south park was extremely low effort or extremely like diy and simple it's like well you don't even know how to draw a circle yeah yeah um in addition to these comics that he's posting, uh, yeah, he's also posting like photos of his trip, uh, including one that they show on screen of him in a grunt style shirt, uh, driving the short bus he bought specifically to travel down to Anarchapoco. The battle bus. The battle bus, which again is a short bus. So like how many R word jokes do you think they had to leave on the editing room floor? Oh my, oh, so many, so many. And he's probably pissed they didn't get him in there because there was some heat. Like, uh, yeah, you'd have to be a short bus jockey to think renouncing your earthly possessions and fleeing the country was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> that is the um, whole thing all- is like being like, what I'm doing is fucking stupid, but you know what? <laughs> I don't really fucking care. Like, that is uh, part the- of the whole yeah. thing. He's, he's hitting himself in the head while wearing a Roman helmet in one of his videos. Just because he's like, oh, it's so crazy. He's so out of his mind. It's so funny. Like, that makes... I'm, like, already kind of endeared to him. And then they show, yeah, of the video of him just sitting on his couch, staring into a, a laptop camera, wearing a it's, a... it's a Doom mask. I don't think it's a gladiator helmet. I think it's, like, a metal Doom... Uh, Dr. Doom mask. And he's hitting himself in the head repeatedly with an aluminum baseball bat while flipping off the camera. <laughs> so good. Just like yeah. when uh, I love Paul. I wouldn't fuck with him. Yeah, Juan Galt has that dig on him later in the episode where he's like, Yeah, he's coming around here acting like he's gonna be the general in the apocalypse, but 
He's not a general. He's kind of more of a foot soldier. Like everyone just <laughs> oh, looks yeah. down on him. Yeah. You know, he was um, seeing when he saw that. Like he like he like probably threatened to kill John uh Juan yeah. Galt on, on the internet. Uh okay, more info about this year's uh this this year's Anarchapoco. Uh the, the big difference is there's going to be a quote dedicated cryptocurrency lounge, which I think we've seen like you know photos of those types of spaces go across the internet. Um, and the uh, last day of the conference, because it's a three-day conference, the last day is being rebranded re completely to Crypto Polko. Uh, and then this is when the documentary turns into a uh, one giant advertisement, aka pump scheme for cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. Yeah, like really blatantly um, too. And they, ta yeah, they talk get... about like all, all the all like the dark stuff about crypto that we don't understand, where it's like. Oh no! You can like, they can manipulate the market. Like they talk about, they have workshops on doing that. That's the whole thing. It's great. Yeah, I have a clip here of um, part of their Bitcoin push uh, during this part of the documentary. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I have this specific quote, but yeah, I think it's um, man, I can't remember his name because he's not the the tax dodger guy. Uh, he, um, he says something about how, uh, cryptocurrency is, uh, it serves to disempower the ruling class, but which I thought was funny. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, here, here's, uh, here's a, here's another sound clip. Bitcoin is an attempt to separate money and state kind of like how the separation of church and state was a sort of pivotal change in, in human history. Fundamentally, it's a limit on political will and political power. If enough people start using it, we will get rid of most poverty on earth. All wars will end. All big governments will go away. We're on the cusp of it right now. Hell yeah, dude. Um, so that, that first speaker was Juan Galt. And yeah, he says how um, it's a limit on political power. Right? And it's like, Okay, what are your politics again? Your politics are capitalism and freedom. Yeah. Um, so me getting rich off Bitcoin instead of the dollar is somehow a limit on political power. Again, my politics just revolve around uh, having having money. Okay, so somehow uh, somehow that's going to happen with Bitcoin. Uh, money money doesn't equal politics anymore, except even more explicitly in in our brand of politics. Well, there's um, no need the, for politics if there's no war and no no government. There's no need for politics anymore, which which would that it's going to happen if I go ahead and get as much of it for myself as I can. That's how we're going to get no war and no no government. What a what a statement. What a declaration from uh Jeff, the the speaker of of the conference who yeah says uh if we if we adopt just just one one quick trick to ending all war and poverty is we adopt bitcoin. What's that? There's there's a finite amount of yeah. bitcoin of <laughs> available. Like there's there's only a certain number that can be mined. It sounds like maybe it'd be even worse for uh people who are or poor. Wait, you mean there's less of those than there are people? Uh, yeah, this is totally gonna work. Um, so there are some critical voices of Bitcoin in the uh, cable news supercut they do about Bitcoin, about how uh, yes, it is essentially a Ponzi scheme. And then um, Jeff, they do kind of get Jeff to like address the critics, and he he says, yeah, well, you know, it's like playing poker. 
If you play with guys who know how to play poker, you're going to lose. It's yeah. like, oh, cool. Yeah. This sounds like a great monetary system. This sounds like a great idea for a currency. <laughs> but good thing you already spent a couple thousand dollars to like come into this conference while so you won't lose. <laughs> like, imagine you go into a, into a bank and you know to to make a deposit or make a withdrawal, and like the people in there are just wearing pinstripe suits and like fedoras and leaning back, flipping a coin with like a toothpick in their mouth. <laughs> one, yeah. one good thing that. <laughs> the director does um, throughout the course of the series that I've seen so far is he shows how much the mood and the optimism of this milieu is affected by the rises and falls in the Bitcoin market. Um, mm -hmm. And it really, you know, I, I, I know he is sympathetic. Actually, there was this it's going down piece on him about how he, he got into this stuff through Stefan Molyneux, which is, Oh, like cool. Really far out there, anarcho-capitalist <clears throat> cult leader. Um, and maybe he doesn't feel that way anymore. Like maybe the anarcho pocal experience has like moved him out of it. But from what you say from the, the Instagram stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Todd Schramke <laughs> and his wife. Yeah, it sounds like they probably still are. But um, he does a, a good, just his sympathies aside, he does a good job of showing like, oh, Bitcoin's down now. People believe in this politics a lot less. And then also, like, even if they all become rich, like, their dream, like, their utopia is living in a hotel in Mexico, in, like, a cheesy-ass city, in Me not one of the cool Mexico cities, like, one that was cool for, you know, boomer parents, like, in the 70s. Expats. Uh, it's cool yeah, for expats. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, yeah, it really shows, like, the limits of that worldview is, like, you know, our idea of anarchy, you know, the left idea of anarchy is, like, giving people a meaningful life that has something more to do than wealth and work. And their idea is like a bar that, you know, all inclusive bar that stays open all night and, you know, you Until pay 30. at the end or something. Yeah. There's like and, three and pools. Caters, and... <laughs> caters explicitly to tourists. Yeah. It's so funny how they keep like talking about, themselves as tourists, even though that's where they live, it's like a perfect encapsulation of yeah like what you're saying their dream their dream um they could like theoretically there's nothing different about mexico than america they could they could do every single thing they're doing in mexico in america it would just you mean be the more ussa expensive. yeah it would just be more expensive but yeah. like their fantasy involves like yeah a lower class of people serving them non-stop exactly and them also never having to adapt to the culture like mm -hmm. they want to be the like the uh what do you call it like the the um eternal tourist because they want that experience of of being waited on that's why they never learn the language that's why they're trying to bring businesses and an, a whole industry uh, to surround them in Anarchopoco so they never have to like venture outside their comfort zone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think a lot of um, it is just, is just yeah. like is just the savings and the tax evasion. Like that's really the you know obviously and also yeah they they getting to feel like a, a superior class because there's a chance you're going to get a little more weight on hand and foot because they you, they might think you're a tourist every once in a while even though they're like yeah, they're sick the and tired of your face. On the, the tax evasion tip, I went to uh, Puerto Rico early this year and I went to Rincon, which is like uh, an area where a lot of the Bitcoin millionaires had bought property and settled over the last few years because there's this huge income tax break 
that mm-hmm. comes with being like a you know a, a Puerto Rican resident like some percentage of the year. And I, I talked to some of these people. They've really taken over that side of the islands, and they're you know they're not like ideological anarchists or anything like that, or like lifestyle anarcho-capitalists, but they talk the exact same way. Like they're all trying to set up businesses. They hate local bureaucracy and regulation. They don't appreciate people speaking Spanish around them, that kind of thing. Like they are really have this extreme kind of neo-colonial mindset and it's incredibly blatant. Yeah. Uh, It's just bog standard libertarianism. Right. Uh, so Lisa Freeman, Nathan's wife, uh, says they, you know, they needed this crypto ATM for the 2017 conference. She's the one who got Paul to bring it. Uh, she's, she's talking about Paul and she says, you know, oh, he, he fundamentally has a really good heart. And while she's saying this, uh, we're seeing videos of him in full military dress, smoking a gas mask bong on his couch um and i'm like so much ass like yeah i i get it um lily and john uh they're they're having some success on steam it Uh, they've already melted a couple ice caps in a glacier um she attributes this success lily attributes this success to the fact that they're quote making history by being the first people to write about how they're breaking the law and being on the run she goes, it's like we literally have charges. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's kind of real. And it's one of those things where it's like, man, fuck you. Fuck you so much. Like, it's I crazy, you. Tony, how she's literally the first person to ever write about breaking the law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good thing. She, good thing she didn't rap about it. That way, those were the, that can't get used against her in court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me introduce you to a little blog called Rap Music. Uh, or uh outlaw country i mean like even even the beatles and the rolling stones wrote about breaking laws i mean those were it was statutory rape mostly but uh you're not making history here uh oh let me let me introduce you to a little thing called john mcafee's twitter page (laughs) from 2014 and she says like you know at first we were a little bit pressed but then six months went by and they're like well i guess they don't really give a fuck and they just went even more like they went even harder on it. They're just like, "Oh, what's up? We're uh, what? What's the word they they use for themselves? They're uh, not they're on the run. They're I did not uh, they, in the first episode they call them too young, not refuge. Not, I don't know. Re, not not felons. That's the it's a anyways. Yeah, people on the run. And it's like yeah, they really embrace it. It's kind of funny." But it's also like, fuck you. I hate you. Yeah. So they're making like 50 bucks a post uh, on, on Steam It, which sure, it's fine. Um, at this point, we're introduced to a new character. We are introduced to Jason Henza, uh, who, who tells us that, um, you know, in America, he was beginning to see how he was being controlled through the banking system. Uh, it's later we find out that what he means is he doesn't have a job. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's quote, dependent on his wife's income. And as, as we hear more from him, uh, it seems like mostly what he's complaining about is like building codes and like residential zoning and that sort of thing. So it makes me think like maybe he would have a job as like a contractor, uh, if it weren't for all the building codes that he had to deal with, kind of stops that in his tracks. 
he talks about it. He's like, I bought a house and I thought this house is my property. I can do whatever I want. Turns out I can't. I want to know what the hell he wanted to try to do. Like, because, like, yeah. yeah, he's supposed to get permits like that. But he acts like he just couldn't do shit. They just, everything I want to do, they, they wouldn't let me do. It's like, what were your plans? He's like, well, I wanted to do a shooting range. I wanted to build a shooting range <laughs> in my backyard. Yeah, they told me that my neighborhood wasn't zoned for a cattle ranch. Yeah. He's probably oh, trying a half to, acre. He's probably like trying to hire local children to fix his roof for him. Yeah. Like for, for like $2 an hour. Well, I don't know if it's even his house, Tony. I think that's a big if. He never, he says something like, oh, well, it's not your house. It's the village's house. Right. Oh, is it, was was that a was that a HOA joke? Well, he just means that like the city government or the county regulations, they yeah. get to decide what you yeah. do with your house. Them being the village, and it's like, I don't know. I kind of like that. I kind of like you know people having a say in whether or not yeah this guy can start a start a gun range in his backyard. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So he uh, he becomes <clears throat> you know he's not working. Uh, he's he's like you know, really mad about regulate local zoning regulations and stuff like that and becomes obsessed with Acapulco and Arcapoco. Uh, and, uh, according to him, his wife did not like that at all. Uh, no. he really wants to go. She's not into the idea. Uh, but he keeps bothering her apparently. So she says, okay, she'll go, but he has to fund the whole trip even though he is once again totally dependent on her income. Uh, and <clears throat> according to him, he deep he depletes his life savings <laughs> to do this trip, to take his wife down there. And so just I'm going to jump ahead a, a little bit, but it's important. He basically spends his life savings to lose his wife. Yeah. Yeah, he depletes yeah. his life savings to get a essentially lead to a divorce. Yeah, it's pretty fucking brutal, and like, you don't you don't blame her one bit. You don't blame her one bit, dude. It's so funny. Okay, so she hates. Uh, he there, the <laughs> filmmaker Todd's asking Jason, you know, about how is his wife, whether his wife liked the trip or not. Uh, Jason goes, she well, uh, first of all, she hates hot weather. Yep, hates uh, hot weather. She hates Mexico in general, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and quote, she didn't want anything to do with it, really. And I would say, she well, hates except me. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't like me very much. I love that this guy looks like Greg Turkington, <laughs> and he's he's kind of like living that life too. Like, well, my wife kicked me out. I'm gonna go live in the car on the street. Uh, find myself on the run from the cartel pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. He he looks like um that one guy from Trailer Park Boys but not as musk muscled. Yeah. The like da long dark hair guy, you know, I don't I don't really watch the show. I've just I've seen memes and that's what that's what he reminds me of. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so he he goes to Anarchopoco and we're getting sort of his take on it and he says just all the freedom, all the stuff you get to do, it was amazing. And it's like, you literally can't own property in Mexico, man, without getting permission from the bank and the government. Like, I don't under, I don't understand what they mean when they say it's more free. Uh, he, yeah. all the stuff, all cheaper. 
<laughs> they mean it's cheaper. It's cheap. Yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah. All, all the stuff you get to do, he says, it's it's great. But all you see him doing is driving around in a truck and uh, wading ankle deep in water, which I think you can do in the United States as well. Another yeah, reason but, why, yeah. why Mexico is more free is because the corruption, uh, again, is on a much lower hanging level. So you can... You know, if you get into any trouble with the police, even if you get arrested, so, there's some amount of money that can buy your way out of that. Like, literally, I've had friends arrested in Mexico for political reasons, and basically the lawyers will tell them, you can come up with some money and just get out of this sentence. Yeah, And so yeah. that'll probably appeal to the richer Anarcho-Poco guys, but this guy's just fucked. Also, move, like, like, yeah, go ahead. Like, you know, every every club down there has someone who can do ping pong ball tricks. Where, like, that's kind of hard to come by in America. So, like, that's pretty yeah. liberating. That is, I mean, that is a degree of freedom that we just don't have yeah. here. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, they move into the seven bedroom mod probe mansion, the which yes. is also known as the Anar Castle. And I'm gonna in, in as a, as a way of introducing uh, the new character Mod Probe, I'm going to uh, play this clip. What's really going on at the very most basic level is creation. That's what we're all doing here. That's where this all came from. Mod Probe is a uh, a cryptocurrency uh, engineer. I, I'm trying to remember how how he's described. He's like a technologist for yeah. cryptocurrency, uh, whatever that means. He was ahead of the curve on the on the mining and everything like that. He's he's a you you can tell, dude's super smart, dude's super smart. Like is a super smart guy. Like that's you can't you can't can't. And the guy's good good at the good at the crypto stuff. Uh, he also likes doing voiceover and uh, yep. like uh, repeating lines from uh, the Lion King. He likes playing Mufasa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a dunk! So, what a crazy dunk later. So, uh, Todd, the filmmaker, asked Jason, "Hey, did your wife warm up like once you guys moved in?" <laughs> Which is uh, a very loaded question. And uh, Jason is like, "Oh, well, it was a bit rocky at first, uh, but then she heard Mod Probe use some big words and was like, oh, he's smart.' Yeah. And then they became friends, and then they became really close, and then ominous music plays." <laughs> Uh, more on that later. Okay. Yeah. We get clips of the conference. The conference is going down. Uh, there's about 600 people there and an assortment of speakers. I'm going to play a little uh, cross section of, uh, of, of the speakers and, and what they're talking about. When you were three, when you were four, when you were six, and it didn't seem fair, or when you were in school and you had to ask permission for basic human rights, that it was wrong. And you were all right, they were all wrong. Fuck the troops. <laughs> they work for the one organization that is actually a threat to the freedom of the American people, which is the United States fucking government. People who want to control other people who want to rule the world and live as a parasite class leeching off of our productivity use our ideas and our beliefs against us. So um, yeah. just Hell three yeah, speakers brother, there, that. but just, yeah, such a, such a great little cross section of, of who we're getting. Yeah. The first woman is uh, uh, Lisa's doula. I can't remember her, uh, her name, but uh, she, she becomes kind of an important figure in a couple episodes. Um, she is also, yeah, a child's rights activist. 
and and she's talking about how remember when you were little and the world seemed so unfair that's because it was and you were right about everything now give me money please it's it's so fucked up because like it's totally preying on you know um you know probably kids who had like on not great circumstances you know it's like yeah yeah that was bad but they're also like yeah so we gotta like not not go to school can't send our kids to school if they want to learn to read that's up to them like that's where they go with this which is like such a step see to me i i mean that's a charitable interpretation uh or like maybe a charitable read on who this appeals to to me like i i hear this and like bells bells go off in my head because i'm like oh yeah that was me like when i was a child i thought i was an adult and should get to do whatever i want yeah, and like yeah. now that i am an adult um i i am ex- extremely self-centered uh because i never like matured out of that that stage of uh petulant rage at the restrictions of the world around me and um i I, i'm still convinced that there's a conspiracy against me personally uh that's why i read ayn rand and uh, that's why this uh this message resonates with me well yeah because they ended up getting a job where they still had to ask if they can go to the bathroom well that's fucked up i mean yeah that's not right I was really mad as a kid because I just wanted to have a job at age seven and <laughs> yeah. my teachers were brainwashing me that I wasn't old enough to have a job and I should be learning things and playing and, you know, being creative and making friends. And I was like, no, I, I, I want to work and I want to sit on the laptop like everyone else. Yeah. The second guy just uh, started, the, the clip starts with him just saying, fuck the troops, fuck the troops. which or he goes, fuck the troops, which uh, no yeah. notes. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Um, it. and then the third, what, what was the, th- the third one about that I just played? I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot at once. Oh, the third one was about the parasite class that wants to leech off of your ideas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that uh, one. Yeah. Oh, man, Which is I the working class. Yeah. I hate that parasite class that wants to, uh, leech off of my ideas by, uh, charging me money for doing all the work uh concerning them uh i love yeah i love their use of class here you know uh like bitcoin is going to disempower the ruling class it's like what you're using that word but i don't think you like it too much okay paul finally makes it to uh anarchapoco but uh like three days too late (laughs) because he apparently got into at least oh what's that he got there in time for Crypto Poco, though. I don't think so. I think he got there after the conference was over. Oh, I thought it was like day four. That's so good. I love that. But they all understood. They all understood. Yeah, because why? Yeah, he got there. Uh, he got there late because he uh, got into at least two car accidents on the way down. There. <laughs> and he got quote quote. This is this is one of those shining Lily moments where you're like, oh, what's Lily's deal? And where he quote got helped by a Mexican. It's yeah, like, he got some yeah. Mexicans to help him. He's like driving through Mexico and his car broke down. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's probably who's gonna help him. Well, she's like, quoting him. She's like, no, hey, I, I got into an accident, some Mexicans helped me. But she still said it with some fervor. <laughs> I, I love I, yeah, it's it's it does it seems like it still surprises them on occasion when they interact with Mexicans. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. oh, you guys are real? I thought you were just on like yeah. boxes of food and stuff. Yeah. They're just always asking, like ha- giving them drink orders whenever they interact <laughs> with them on the street. 
Um, okay. They f- did, but they finally get the ATM uh, to Acapulco, and they put it where where they had planned to put it, which was just in that vegan restaurant, <laughs> Verde, Verde Vegan. And the owners are like, uh, what? Uh, okay, I guess we're putting it here. Okay. Uh, but uh, nobody, nobody can seem to like uh, get it to work. No, nobody can seem to get the ATM to work. So we're just going to forget about the ATM for now. Um, yeah. And then this is why it was confusing. I think Tony is because it's at this point in the documentary, we cut to Cryptopoco. Uh, but technically I think in, in like the chain of events, the ATM didn't get there until way after that makes Um, sense. Yeah. So Anarchapoco turns into Cryptopoco for the last day where the speakers are just advertising like their personal crypto server farm that you can buy an interest in. Um, Everybody on stage is just selling their unique crypto product, whether it's like their own coin that they minted or just something that like parasitically affixes itself to the crypto industry to to the bitcoin industry and uh lily and john are like hey what happened to the anarchy where'd all the anarchy go and then i john says uh a lot of these guys seem like business types or finance types (laughs) who only heard of this stuff through bitcoin and by this stuff he means anarchism which is still just like so adorable to think that they came to anarchism through Bitcoin as opposed to this whole thing just being a vehicle for Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is the stuff, John. Um, It's, it's, and it's like your politics, once again, like not to beat a dead horse, but it's like, yeah, if you give, you know, you're, you're talking about anarchy as freedom, but also as like freedom within capitalism, freedom within the marketplace. Yeah. Um, if you give total freedom to the capitalist class, guess who you're going to see most on stage, on the on stage, on the stage of life. Uh, it's going to be business guys and finance guys. They might like wear uh, slightly cooler t-shirts, but that's who's going to be up there. And, and like you have to, you he- have to like throw those guys in prison if you want freedom. Yeah. <laughs> He he's still like it, that's kind of when they do become like finally, oh their eyes kind of open to oh shit man, that is weird that everyone else here is rich and we're not that is kind of weird but like I thought we believed in the same thing you know it, it is it is like kind of like funny watching him become disenchanted yeah and, but I, but then <laughs> they use then they use um the a a a crypto tactic in combating it which I I, I love that. I have a quote here, right, later when they, when they fork off of uh, Anarcho Poco, they also do cryptocurrency shit. Um, I have a quote from Lily about Bitcoin and about the uh, crypto conference, Crypto Poco. I was kind of going through the disappointment the first year of it, but I was like, oh, it's just the first year. People don't understand it. But by the second year, I was just like, okay, now what the fuck? Like... Most of these people are like, yeah, we're anarchy, we're living the dream, and it's like, y'all still pay taxes, you still bank. Something I think can be missed at this conference is the money isn't the wealth. The wealth is many different forms, you know. Capital can take all different forms, not just economic capital. Sweet, 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 sweet. If we lose sight of our principles, if we lose sight of what got us here, we're going to end up being worse than the people we are trying to replace. Oh really? Wow. Uh, I I love 
you know, there's there's a lot of types of capital. There's uh, there's uh, there's capital, and then there's uh, other. St- you know, what's even you know what's the most like uh, capital though is capital. It's probably the most so, capital well, type well, stuff. See, see, because you're thinking of capital, you're thinking of like Bitcoin, you're thinking of like pesos, dollars. You're thinking of you know currency. You're not thinking of like edibles and cocaine. <laughs> you know, like that's capital. What about stakes? Capital is like having a whole uh, spool of hemp that I can make keychains out of, you know? Yeah. Different patterns. Like I also found this, found this bucket of beads. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're, they're like... Uh, I don't know how this sneaks up on you, really. I, I, I don't. Um, it's, it's pretty sad. <laughs> well, like, um, them, them fleeing there was so optimistic because they, they, they kind of flee there to kind of call their bluff to be like hey y'all are anarchists right y'all don't believe in these um these like oppressive american laws okay cool harbor us and so they kind of they kind of called their bluff in the beginning but i think they were hoping that they were still right for a long time well i don't see how their beliefs are incompatible with like what Jeff and what Nathan are doing because their beliefs are like Murray Rothbard and Ron Paul and all these same. And it's just like, yeah, sorry that like your politics explicitly benefit like capitalist parasites, anti-social motherfuckers who want nothing else in this world except to have like a class of slaves serve them. Your politics allows for that. Like you like you let them do this shit and sorry see yeah sorry they're not uh they have a bad vibe or like sorry they're not yeah like down for the cause you don't have a cause like your cause is like a free for all under the horrors of capitalism oh absolutely but they think as long as you know like they're they're uh they're jetted up and they're burning incense like they're 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 still being chill about it so it's cool they're not being gross and getting well, missions they are the the left wing of the right libertarians. They want to yeah. decentralize and uh, horizontalize, whereas Berwick is uh, they're like those uh, Jewish money lenders in the temple that Jesus got so mad at. Um, okay, cut to Lisa, Lisa Freeman. She talks more about unschooling and uh, peaceful parenting, which I think is when you're just you're just quiet while your child throws a fit at Red Lobster. Um, they uh, she's talking about her home birth, where apparently they bought 21 jugs of pure the brand pure water <laughs> for their home birth, which is amazing. Uh, and it's well, like that's well, funny because. That that was that was just a Mexico thing. That's why they did that. You and it's know? like why can't I mean, you it, use the tap water in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. I wonder what. <laughs> and, and and then she. Well, it's not it's not the dysentery. Uh, it's the fluoride. It's the fluoride in the water. We don't want to. Uh, it's all the bureaucracy in the water. <laughs> you don't um, want to use those city socialist pipes. Uh, Jeff introduces Nathan and Lisa's newborn child on his, uh, on his anarchist YouTube show. Uh, he introduces, uh, or maybe Nathan does. I think Jeff does it. He says, uh, he introduces the, the baby I rebel, which if you say it fast, I rebel. Yeah. Which is like, it's a sick name. I stand that. It does it. 
it was so good it's so good yeah and again like what they mean by uh rebelling is just not having not getting like polio vaccinations <laughs> uh she says it's wonderful in mexico because she didn't have to have her kid in a hospital which I think he's okay in America too. I think uh, Tony, yeah. I, I, am I right here that you don't have to have your kid in a hospital in America? No, we totally did the same thing. We had we had the kid in in our front room in a pool. What like kind of water did you pool. did you use? Uh, Fiji I, water. I think I think I pulled. I think I I think it was actually. You know, this explains why Penny's so gosh darn tough. I think it was actually a hose water. <laughs> uh, I think she was birthed into the hose water. Wow! Yeah, she's um, she's the fucking like, she is the Neo of of Gen. What I don't know if she's probably not Gen Z. She's probably whatever after Gen Z is. But uh, her first drink was out of the hose. Yeah, yeah. She's she's been, <laughs> she's been gritty since day one. And uh, yeah, this whole thing. It's funny. This the, the whole thing about a lot of the stuff that she says here isn't like wrong. And that's what's funny. It's like, but you're taking, you're doing a whole different thing with it. Like, yeah, there is this whole thing where, yeah, unfortunately, people aren't told about how you can advocate for yourself in the hospital. Like, that's a, that's a good thing. That's like not a bad thing. Um, but then, but they're doing it for this like whole different weird reason where they're like, well, I don't know if we have her home, we have the documenter, and there's also some, uh, there's also some benefits, maybe some property buying benefits if we get her a Mexican birth certificate. Yeah, like, it's like that's what yeah, it gets, like, like they what the fuck. They did not give her uh, any paperwork and certainly not get, getting her U.S. citizenship, which is not going to be good for her later in life. Like, you know, no. no matter what you think about U.S. citizenship or the United States, you can think it's a socialist country or whatever, but it's a very valuable passport to have. Seriously. I'll be, yeah. I'll be, yeah. A very cruel thing to deny your your child. I'll be real. Was, I did like have a hard time. I was like, God, oh, do I want? Do I want to get her a social security number? Do I want her to be on? What if? What if I could train her to? What if I could train her like salt, and she can be like an assassin? <laughs> you know, she can be like she can be like a shadow person. Yeah, you know, if if you give a baby the right chemicals, they actually don't develop fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, if you just like you know, have them help you in the kitchen a lot, and we just don't use we just. Don't use oven mitts. Um, yeah, they ask. Uh, well, they yeah, they might get her a Mexican birth certificate because of quote certain privileges such as property ownership. Yeah, interesting how the Mex Mexico is the more <laughs> the more free country for you where you also can't own property without like jumping through many more legal loopholes and uh, you know lawyer fees and and that sort of thing. I guess. Oh. Americans can own property in Mexico, contrary to popular belief, uh, but it's extremely difficult. It's it's much more difficult than just yeah buying something in America as as I an American citizen. That I rebel is probably going to grow up to be like yeah I'm Mexican, <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna be like an Elon African joke, like and she's gonna she's gonna embrace it. She's gonna be like yeah I'm Mexican. Um. Yeah, uh, they uh, Jeff asked them, but is she getting uh, her U.S. birth certificate? And they say, hell no. And it's like hell a big no. laugh line. Um, and then, quote, she's never been to a doctor. She's never been measured or compared. She's free. It's like, I don't know if that's that's what I would call freedom. Like, measured or compared. This is like 
some extreme like snowflake parenting stuff. Like it's going to damage our child irreparably if we tell her how long she was when she was born. They're reading like Foucault or uh, like uh, (laughs) Giorgio Agamben or something like the, you know, the the bio fascism of of categorization and quantification. Yeah, it, it's uh, also she's funny not going to. Oh, like, she's she's the one hundredth percentile, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's also funny their distrust of medicine and um, you know, measuring where it's like as we'd spoken before. Um, Lisa looks a, a lot different in the current interviews than before, and I think they had to take some measurements of her entire face and probably torso, um, before they did whatever they did that probably involved medicine. Yeah, well, that's the difference. Um, it, it's a, by the way, it's called she does a, look great. She looks fantastic. I, I disagree. I liked her with her gap tooth better. Um, but it, that's, it, it is called elective surgery for a reason, Tony. It's because oh, okay. the, the choice true. is still there. That's the only kind I'll have. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, okay. So Paul, uh, looking for a place to live. Uh, Paul, our, our uh, warrior poet, our, our battle hippie parks his bus outside the Anar castle and he just starts living there like out front uh and he tells the occupants of the Anar castle who are uh Juan Galt, uh, Jason, Jason's wife and Mod Probe uh he tells them he's going to protect them as they ride out the apocalypse uh he starts holding hand-to-hand combat training classes for them starting a quote angry hippie dojo um, so sick so sick like i love that part I'm like, I'm hearing angry hippie dojo and battle hippie. And I'm like, what is a battle hippie? Like what makes, what's the hippie part of this? Like I get Uh hippie, like conservative hippies who say they're hippies because like they listen to grateful dead or fish. Um, He clearly just like listens to Metallica. Like does he does drugs though? I think he's, I think he's like a psychonaut. That's the hippie like part is like smoking yeah. weed he, he and doing drive blow. a bus. He like yeah, he did like drive a bus too. Yeah, he's driving you know? a short bus, so he's a hippie. He's I don't he, know he's a little bit or, kooky like a hippie. I don't know when or how this happened, but uh at some point hippies became right libertarians. And I I found this out when I, I went to um this like hippie town state school upstate uh, upstate New York called New Paltz, and it's like a hippie, you know, there's like main street filled with like Wiccan shops and like granola stores and so, you know, very hippie. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I got to talk to these people and I was like involved in like whatever anarchist stuff back then. And yeah, I found out that they were all capitalists. Like they, mm-hmm. they all believed in like whatever, like the pre crypto stuff. And I don't know how it happened, but yeah, that like the burning man scene and, uh, which is where a lot of these people I think kind of, come from or related to yeah at, at some point like all of the the left-wing trappings of the 60s the yeah you know, i guess there i guess there probably still are anti-war actually there's like that right libertarian anti-war thing that's pretty sincere but uh yeah they they began to identify the state as financial capital and bureaucracy and um you know totally lost interest in class politics whatsoever I think um, there's, uh, th- there's this a theory. Is just... Okay, go ahead. There, there's a theory about uh, the correlation between like hippies and um like and and the Grateful Dead and Deadheads and the parking lot market. 
Um, and uh, like a lot of people traveled and were like doing the parking lot market selling bootlegs. And that oh. was that was their own little and it you know it was all you know on on documented it was all you know on taxed and it was all like independent and you and bootlegs was the free market aspect of it um and yeah that makes a, sense there's a and correlation I'll... between that stuff and also people who can go do those things who can go live on a commune who can go like be hippies for a minute they usually have a, a plan B they usually have like a mom and dad who they can like go like chill with for a minute before they you know you know. Go to, go to college and get their whatever job, you know. But yeah, a lot of it, I guess, it is is the literally the 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 parking lot market at Deadhead shows. Yeah, probably the back to the land stuff too, like the homesteading. Like we are gonna yeah. leave the cities and like you know build a yurt in the country, and you know there there's a I think there's like a, a left wing element to that historically, but there's also just kind of like a territorial colonial kind of mindset to that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think um, there's a couple things um, like the people you interacted with specifically, it, it sounds like are involved in like the marketization and the uh, like capitalization of the hippie movement itself, right? You're talking about like shops that are catering to like pagan lifestyles or hippie lifestyles, like those are by definition capitalist enterprises. Okay, not, right? not just that, but um, on campus, there was like an activist group called Synthesis that was like this hippie environmentalist group. And um, they were like trying to save trees on campus. And I like got plugged in because that, that sounds fine or whatever. But their idea of saving trees was like, we have to buy all the trees to stop people from cutting them down which was like you know wrong on so many levels they were cutting the trees down for like our ar- ar- arborist reasons it wasn't because they they're trying to like make wood out of them um but i yeah just that uh that mindset of like uh you know the trees shouldn't be a property they belong to mother nature or gaia that got lost somewhere yeah i sure. think um also part of it might be uh is it is the correct term for it survivorship bias where it's hmm. like looking yeah. at which which parts of the plane made it through because you know uh the the other actually like uh, every other plane crashed when it was hit in a certain area is it yeah. is is that the anyway like it's like well the, a lot of the left-wing hippies probably died they probably just like literally died of exposure and of you know lack of health care and lack of means you know and and the ones who were left are the ones who had like tony you said uh the plan b the 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 actual like uh bed you know baseline of of uh standing or wealth or or class position I like to believe there's still like pockets of, you know, like truly off the grid uh, leftists who are actually off the grid and we just literally don't know about them. I mean, that wouldn't happen because if, you know, like Amazon would figure out how to like deliver to them if uh, if that was real. So I know it's not real, but um, it'd be cool if it was. I think M. Night Shyamalan made a movie about those guys. Called the village. Oh, the village. Yeah. Yeah. The village. I love that yeah, movie. yeah. Yeah. I like the village too. I'm a huge village defender. I think it's had a reappraisal in in recent years, but I I, I loved it's that movie yeah. when it came out. 
everybody really I, hated I did it. not see it coming. I enjoyed it because I did not think too hard about what the twist would be, and so I enjoyed the twist. And it's really good performances. Bryce Dallas Howard, it's probably like her best fucking movie. <laughs> and uh, also Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. is great in it. Adrian Brody... I mean, he's doing some stuff that he probably shouldn't, that you probably shouldn't but have that's a Adrian character Brody do. Brody for you. That's, that's our guy. That's what he does. But Stuff he shouldn't he, be doing. If, if somebody's going to do Rasta it, man. it's not. It is. It's, it's, a, it's kind of similar to Rasta Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, yeah. Let's get, a, let's get a clip from Paul uh, describing his, uh, his situation now. His... his I think he describes Battle Hippie, being a Battle Hippie. Hell yeah, good. This is the oath of a Battle Hippie, and should be for all to take heart. I will be without fear in the face of my enemies. I will defend liberty, even if imprisoned. I will defend those who cannot defend themselves. I remember very clearly, he said to me, the apocalypse is coming. When shit hits the fan, it's gonna get really bad. Were you taking it seriously? No, I mean, Paul was not a general. He was a foot soldier. Getting back to training. I hold back the tears and swallow the pain. I let hurt turn to rage. I know rage. Rage is more useful than pain. I'll let it take hold. I will use it to harden my heart and my fists. I will let it fuel me in my training. The training I will use to fix the shitty attitude of certain individuals. He sounds like John Hamm reading hate breed lyrics. <laughs> which I would pay so much money to hear. I'd would, I'd would, I'd pay so much money. I also I like will that when he wipe says wipe the like... tears from my <laughs> eyes. Wash the stain from my from my lips. <laughs> I, I also love that he 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 sounds like he's responding to getting dunked at at some point. He he sounds like he like when he hears Juan Galt say that, he's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm gonna turn the, the hate the hurt's gonna turn to rage, but not pain, because rage is more but it sounds like he's like talking about someone being mean to him. Also, can we talk about how sick Juan Galt's little room is, his little house with his little orange couch? Uh I don't remember his, it that well. Uh, elaborate. What's his, so sick his about is it? The only, is the only place that's like oh I, I'd hang out in that little room. He's the only one that's like not tacky. I don't know, Jay, whatever like bar Jason's hanging out in looks kind of nice, looks cozy. Um, okay, so we finally find out, yeah, that the Bitcoin ATM hasn't been working. Uh, it never worked, so uh, it's perfect in my mind, uh, yeah. narratively at least. Uh, finally, Lily, again, narratively perfect, Lily is the one who takes the initiative to uh, turn it on. And uh, again, perfect, uh, just perfect for the narrative. Within a week of turning it on, Interpol shows up because the ATM is, guess what, stolen. Yep, yep. The ATM, not only is the ATM stolen, uh, the ATM is stolen from a strip club in San Diego. And apparently a uh, disgruntled ATM employee is the one who uh, took it and gave it to Paul. It's so good because, like, how do you? It's like that. Yeah, how do you think these things work? 
I, I don't know. Did Paul just like literally not know that it was stolen or just because it, it was I guess it, it's clearly used when he gets it. It's not like in a box. It's just a loose ATM <laughs> in the back of the bus. There's a third. There's another guy who is like, again, like a cryptocurrency wizard. He's he's like an engineer. He's and he's the one, I think, who says he can get a crypto ATM because you have yeah. to like make a crypto atm or you have to like convert an atm to crypto like it's not what do you what do you what is it going to do you know like how is it how is it going to interact with your crypto wallet otherwise so also, that's you, the guy like 2017 because like now they're in every gas station like crypto bitcoin atms are in every gas station now but this is 2017 they, they were very few and far between oh, back I, then they were in strip clubs for some reason no i think uh, it was stolen and then converted to a crypto ATM and oh. and then given to uh, Paul. But it's like oh, you, you converted it to crypto but couldn't get rid of like the tracking signal couldn't get rid of like the the Wi-Fi you know Im immediate alarm it sends to the international community. Um, yeah, pretty great, pretty great. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, the they get raided by the the uh, the federales. The vegan restaurant gets raided by the federales. They take the uh, the ATM back. Apparently, nobody goes to prison over this. Yeah. Um, so uh, Jason and his wife get back to the states after uh, th uh, after uh, the Anarchapoco conference. They get back to the U.S. and then after three days, his wife tells him she wants a divorce after quote, after yelling at him for three days, he says. Um, and it's like, like you were saying, Tony, it's like, yeah, dude, you made her go to an insane Bitcoin child endangerment conference in Mexico. Yeah. Of course she wants to leave you. But she then again, it's like, no, wait, she's actually leaving you for one of the insane Bitcoin guys. Mod probe. Mod probe. <laughs> There's so many twists and turns in this. She, she like hated hot weather. She hated Mexico. She hated cryptocurrency until she met mod probe. <laughs> well, she like, she like doesn't, she doesn't, she just loves smart dudes. Like, I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. It shows have, a picture of them like embracing and he's wearing a shirt that says Obama can't take these guns and it's pointing to both of his arms. And then it's like, and then she just, then she wanted a divorce. It's like the next thing he says. Um, this next clip I have is, uh, it's pretty heartbreaking. I decided after she left me, I was going to go back to Acapulco and uh, before I go down there, I found out she's moving down there and I thought that's weird. She hates Acapulco. And then she said she was moving to Mount Probe's house. The Force is with you, young Skywalker, but you are not a Jedi yet. <laughs> so Damn, just hear, hearing that and not seeing him say it, it sounded really good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so when fucking funny. When you see him funny. saying it, he, 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 he looks like he sucks, so the impression sucks, but just hearing the audio is pretty impressive that is mod probe so we get yeah. uh, a, a clip from uh jason talking about how his uh his wife left him for mod probe and then we get voiceover artistry from mod probe uh telling essentially telling j you know meta meta narratively telling jason he's uh he's not a jedi yet he's just a padawan <laughs> 
Um, yeah, the thing is, is like Mod Probe, if you see him, you can tell he's deliberately lowering his voice. I don't really know how to describe it. Everybody's making fun of his voice throughout this thing. But it's like, you can see him been like, like lowering his head so that it creates more resonance in his throat when he delivers these lines. And that's just kind of how he talks normally, too. Yeah. Not when he's doing is like, they're really just James Earl Jones impressions. Like, mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's not. It's not Simba and Darth Vader. It's. I mean, it is, but like, it's. That's why it's those. Yeah, uh, Mufasa. Mufasa. Yeah. I don't want to get any letters. Uh, Simba, of course, voiced by uh, what's what's his Jonathan name? Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And JTT. also, what's his name from Cable Guy and Godzilla? John Lovitz. Nope. That'd be good though. <laughs> no, um, what's his name? Ferris Bueller. Oh Matthew yeah, Broderick. yeah. Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick yeah. plays the adult Simba. Yeah. I hope we get some bleeding gums Murphy later in the series. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So Jason uh his wife leaving him. Um, nowhere else to go. He wants to go down to Acapulco anyway. Uh, he, he goes and lives at John and Lily's house. Uh, Lily finds him sleeping in his van in the driveway. And then she tells us about how he wakes up angry every morning, uh, and then goes and takes a walk with his dog by which, uh, he means he rides around on his motorized unicycle on a parking lot while the dog like click clacks on hot asphalt. It's one of those unawheels, the one you like stand on each side of one wheel and like lean forward. And he's walking his dog with this in like an empty abandoned parking lot. It's just like so, it's just so sad. But it's like, it's also kind of wholesome. Yeah, you're probably still getting some sort of core exercise, you know, on on that thing. Well, at least he's not like, you know, like vamping on, on Facebook talking about killing people like, like Paul is. <laughs> I don't know. I think like I like that about dog. Paul. I, I think that's cool. I think that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is a real slobs versus snobs series. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, what's his name? Justin, the guy, the guy who got cucked. Jason. Jason. Yeah, Jason's mm-hmm. the king slob. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, oh, Jason sure. tells us that his new budget is seventy five dollars a month. Oh yeah, and it's but like he's happy. I respect that so much. Yeah, but he's trying to make it work. He's trying to make it work. He found a place to chill. Good for him. Uh, but it also means like, yeah, you definitely didn't own the house that you were talking about. Yeah. If your new budget is $75, then you like, were, you didn't sell that house, right? His wife gave it to Mod Probe. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a mining, it's a, like a crypto mine now. Like it's just full of servers. <laughs> But it's like, yeah, you you definitely didn't own the property, not because the village owned the property. It's because your landlord owned the property. Yeah, yeah, bummer. So I'm just, yeah, really confused by his uh, his existence. Um, okay, cut back to Paul, uh, who I guess kind of has a new, like, quote, girlfriend um, <clears throat> who uh, declined to participate in the conference or in the, sorry, in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they blur her face in photographs with the V for Vendetta mask. They put a V for Vendetta mask t- like filter over her. So you're seeing the fucking mustache goatee 
and the eyes ended a bunch of pixels over her face uh, when they're showing photographs of her and Paul. I love that so much because like that's an editorial choice, right? Again, yeah, it's like it. it, it one of the things that made me think that the the uh, filmmaker Todd was not uh, a libertarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we we put a we put a fedora on her to ex- obscure her hair color, <laughs> so you c- yeah. couldn't identify her that way. <laughs> um, she was apparently quote uh, drawing the interest of several other residents of the Anarch Castle in addition to Paul, and then at this point, uh, for probably uh, this reason, Paul is becoming more and more belligerent uh, with with the other residents of the Anarch Castle. Yeah, more confrontational. And um, again, let's let's uh, see if you can guess why Paul is my favorite guy on the show as I read uh, these various Facebook posts. Paul Propert, I sit here overlooking the paradise I hope to share with you. Paul Propert, I long to hold you and keep away the demons. Paul Propert, I am a warrior, battle-tested and a tad dinged up. Paul Propert... There can be no peace without pain and sacrifice. Paul Propert, burying bodies sucks, but if you get a good wood chipper, you just feed the pigs. Oh, and then man, uh, yeah. it's at this point That's they twisted. It's at this point they kick Paul out of the Anarch Castle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, dog. So we kind of she said you might throw some of us in a wood chipper. Um, that's that's we're gonna call that the line. So you gotta go. You gotta go, bud. Uh, they kick him out on Christmas Eve. Apparently, (laughs) and Lily and John uh, have to go pick him up. They have to drive like three hours to go pick him up and all his shit. Because, yeah, he goes to live with them. He goes to live with them just like Jason. Uh, Lily is on camera saying, I knew it was a bad idea, uh, but I did it anyway. (laughs) Um, Okay. Lily's a good person. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's at this point that uh, Bitcoin shoots to the moon. It surges to uh, $19,000 a coin. Jeff, Lisa, Nathan, Mod Probe all become overnight millionaires, uh, which is they're just, you know, ecstatic. You you understand why all of their modern interviews are being held like aboard a yacht or being held yeah. in their like palatial uh, like uh living room or or you know what whatever you would call it like foyer um and to contrast this you get uh interviews with the vegan restaurant owners who uh had nine bitcoins at one point but had to spend them uh you get john and lily who had had 130 bitcoins at one point which mm-hmm. uh the documentary tells us would be three million dollars uh but they spent it trying to quote live off the grid uh again by which they mean just not having jobs like you're not off the grid you're in a densely populated mexican community (laughs) like just because they were like just because it's poor thing they were saying just because like it's a poor area doesn't mean you're off the grid yeah yeah like how do you make and spend Bitcoin in the first place if you're off the grid? I'm pretty sure that requires yeah. a grid of some kind. True, but like, but like, like they they thought that they were really doing the whole like 
we're not going to use currency. We're going to use Bitcoin and we're going to really live off of it. And it's like, oh, no, see, see what happened. These people were actually hoarding it. And like, that's what that was actually the move the whole time. Well, they had more to begin with, you know, yeah, so they, totally. they yeah. have more freedom now. That's how that's yeah. how your politics works. Um, Jeff, what Jeff st- decides to do with uh, his newfound freedom mm-hmm. is he decides to become a rapper. Yep. Uh, and he releases a track called Bitcoin All the Way Up. Are you guys ready? Become a rapper I'm again. So ready. Return to his first dream of rapping. I was I was shocked to learn that he's uh, been rapping since high school. So like yes. decades ago. Um, I was shocked to learn that based on how he sounds in this in this video. Let's let's listen. Straight to the moon, Bitcoin all the way. Dollar vigilante, all up in your hearsay. Dropping crypto knowledge, making the ladies go cray cray. Baby, I'm old school, and you the new jack. I've been rocking long Bitcoin since a hey long way back track. Six years ago, a friend of mine told me to say some Bitcoin rhymes. So I bought some Bitcoin around three bucks that day. Now it's 2K on its way to 10K. Fuck you, Ben Bernanke. You two yelling, I see what you're selling. A debt based Ponzi scheme impoverishing like. A felon, we see through your inflation, market manipulation. I pass out your fiat script when I'm done ejaculating. I pass out your fiat script when I'm done ejaculating. I love the fuck you, Ben Barnecke. That's so fucking good. Yeah, I I was like, wait, you've you've been rapping. He talks about how he rapped in high school as a way to like break out of his shell yeah and it's like okay you like you like developed a personality in high school and that that was like it for you you never progress past that point because yeah this does still sound like a run dmc ripoff all of his flashbacks are so traumatic (laughs) they're so they're all so gnarly he's like he's like yeah they like thought i was nerd so one day i pulled up i had a i had a costume gold chain on I had baggy pants. I had sunglasses, and I did the whole thing. And it's like, and he's like, I and I just did it, and people loved it. They ate it up, and he like, it's like, wow, dude, brutal. And he he tells us pretty unconvincingly that he almost opened for Vanilla Ice. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's MC Hammer. It's MC Hammer, and it's because oh, he like knew the bartender, um, and the bartender he knew the bartender, but then MC Hammer canceled. <laughs> okay. MC Hammer is much cooler than Vanilla Eyes. True. That's very true. Um the original. So uh Todd asks Lily about Jeff's music video, which she doesn't like for some reason. Uh she, she talks about, yeah, she literally left the room. She's never heard the song. She uh left the room the one time John tried to play it around her. Um <clears throat> Who is, what's the name of the other woman that we haven't talked about on this episode yet, Tony? Do you remember her name? We talked about her last episode. Oh, uh, the, the only the only black person in this documentary so far. I, I, I forget her name. She's so interesting throughout this whole thing. She's so sweet. Yeah, she's on, like I said last week, she's on like a spiritual journey where she's like, learning how to live and love and it's just a very wholesome trip that's like bewildering how how it's a part of the rest of this yeah um 
and at at this point, after the Bitcoin surge, after yeah, uh, half of them are made into overnight millionaires, while the ha- the other half were like just barely surviving. Um, she says, you know, we were brought together by our beliefs, but then it became clear that we were not economic peers. And it's like economic peers. There's got to be a different way to say that. Yep, there's got to be another way. <laughs> it's probably a way of thinking about that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I, I love it. Just like, like economic learning peer analysis. The anarch, the an, the ancaps learning about class. The gang learns about class politics on this episode of the anarchists. And real, real quick too. Real quick. Uh, Nathan and Lisa move into a giant home. Uh, and then, yeah, they talk about how they wanted to build businesses around Anarchapoco. Uh, Lily starts talking about how the Freemans, Nathan and Lisa, are gatekeepers to the event. Uh, that only the people that, uh, you know, Nathan and Lisa want are invited. And John says something to the effect of like, why are we having our anarchist conference all around the world be essentially top top run organizations where the executive makes all the decisions and it's because it's a privately owned conference yeah. man like what the fuck are you talking about how is this confusing to you and he says well, uh to us it seems obvious that an anarchist conference shouldn't be centralized like a pyramid scheme it's like that's oh. that's the that's capitalism man that's the economy like i mean you seem, Andy, you seem to be maybe giving them a more charitable read or maybe maybe you have a more charitable read on this. But it's like, if we're talking about an anarchist conference and like anarchist values within anarcho-capitalism, like it seems like they're talking about just a voluntary movement within their politics where we're all going to decide to be more anarchist aka democratic question mark like decentralized but it's like okay that's like a choice you want to make these other people do not want to make that choice so like what are they talking about as a political movement well they think that um like the smart people the productive people the you know they're uh, like in, in Ayn Rand, like all of the industrialists go on strike against the workers. And um, it's a really beautiful vision in that book that ends up working out because they have, they create like a device that like just makes goods for free. Like they, they just, there's like a deus ex machina that replaces the workers and in, in Galt's Gulch. Uh, uh, that's actually what happens yeah. in Ayn Rand. Um so that yeah, they're they're they think that like just their ingenuity and their goodwill and like their own self interest is enough to create an ideal society. And so their ideal society this is what's so good about the show is it shows that their ideal society is a hotel, a luxury hotel. Yeah, that's what they want. They want to stay in the hotel forever. <laughs> they want to become richer and richer in the hotel. And um, it's a it's that's a totally reasonable political aesthetic if that's like the life you want to live. I totally get it. Uh but yeah, the the left anarchists uh you know are more into squalor. And that's a, a little less uh uh marketable. So that, I think that's 
that's why we're against the economy and want to destroy it. Well, I, I think I think with this these two with John Lilly, I think what happened was is the um the conference kind of evolved past them. They didn't have anything right. to offer at the conference anymore. And they talk about that. They're like, yes, yeah, so we wanted to do like things that it just got too big for. And so like whatever their role was didn't exist anymore. So they had to create their own role. And that's why that's the real reason why they did this whole thing. And, 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 and you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of cool. They did it like it seemed to have worked. It just seems like they want to have like a a social I mean that's reductive but it it seems like they want to have like a community based around these ideas but for like true believers or people who yeah are fans of anarchism but it's like you're talking about a brand of politics that doesn't require that at all like what you want is like a niche subgenre within the broader rapacious politics of capitalism and it's like you can't get mad that they don't want to be be your friends that they don't want to join your fucking scene or whatever like that's not you're not being more true to your political beliefs than they are they're just picking their avenue within your broader set of freedom under capitalism and it 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 feels like a very weird like childish sense of politics like they they have to they have to reckon with this at some point if they're going to continue uh continue trying to be political actors you know but that's like such a huge ask from somebody who like has dreadlocks and like eats steaks at the same time <laughs> like if you're gonna if you're gonna be like a rasta pasta then at least like follow some of like the rastafarian beliefs maybe okay. just leave some of the misogyny aside and just stick to the at least the vegetarian <laughs> vegan cuisine um you know at least do something uh yeah yeah and it's it's uh the con the conferences that are spreading anarchy should reflect like the anarchist ideal and that's like i laughed a lot here it's like it's not about the conference isn't about spreading anarchy it's about getting money it's about making money for them because under like their brand of politics under like this ancap style of politics like even if no one else is free one person can be free by being wealthy like that's what freedom is uh, under capitalism is is freedom money is the only liberty under capitalism mm-hmm. um so they decide to uh fork anarchopoco which is a term meaning branch branch off of it to like change it slightly you know fork it's a cryptocurrency term uh if you fork off of the coin if you don't like what the coin is doing or something um jeff uh jeff you know from anarchopoco uh interviews them about their idea to fork off of his conference and start their own conference. Um, he interviews them like seemingly amicably. And he says something like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to use the state to try and cancel your anarchofoco. And it's like, well, how the fuck could you anyway? What are you talking yeah. like this? The state doesn't give a shit if there's another and ANCAP conference competing with you. Um, but apparently, like behind the scenes, he was pissed off about this. 
uh he says something he says like to the camera talk, like he's ranting about lily and john he's like you're gonna attack my thing you're gonna fuck my shit up and it's like yeah the marketplace of ideas the free market is cool until someone else has an idea that's other than your idea and that's when uh it, it, they they're fucking up essentially see i think he handled it pretty cool i think he was like yeah well i'm not gonna stop you but also, yeah, like fuck you if you think I'm gonna help you. Like, no way. I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna speak at your thing. I don't need to speak at your thing. Like, I, 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 I totally, I totally back. I, I like. I think he handled that well. I like. Well, that. I don't mind him like talking shit about them or whatever. But it's funny to like take it personally and be like, "You're gonna attack my." Th-. Yeah. Like, how are you? How are you an anarchist? And you're like, "Oh yeah, this anarchy conference is mine." It's mine, you know, yeah. once again, like like the the paradox of private ownership under anarchy or whatever. But it's like the this this you're gonna attack my anarchy. He literally says like my anarchy thing. It's like you sure you want to say that on camera, dude? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because then you're kind of the leader of whatever's under the umbrella of this. Yeah, and it's just dropping the pretense of like in the marketplace of ideas, the best idea will will rise to the top. Mm-hmm. It's like no, like like fuck you for doing this. This is a this is an insult to me. You're participating in the free market. That's an insult to me. I'm trying to sell my thing over here, and it's like but, oh, it's almost like it's a zero sum game under your politics. Yeah, weird. This is what I meant by uh, uh, there being a left wing and a, and a right wing of the right libertarians because I don't know if. Uh, those guys are uh, fans of von Mises. Uh, they mm. likely are like following from Rothbard, but he basically set up this sort of, you know, square the circle between fascism and libertarianism where you can have your own little authoritarian fiefdom where everybody's your slave and uh, you know, there's no consent laws or whatever, uh, but you, that's like your, you know, Domain. zone. Yeah. Right. So he might think of himself as, you know, uh, the, the, the Lord of anarchy in this world. And then he's going to like crush and distance the other little anarchy world. Yeah. It's funny too, where he kind of like ironically or mockingly or jokingly is like, well, obviously I'm not going to use the state as uh, to, Mm -hmm. to crush, to crush your fest. And it's like, well, actually if I'm, I don't know. I'm only vaguely familiar. I'm f- vaguely familiar with like the general like, principles of an- anarcho-capitalism or uh, libertarianism. You know, the the non-aggression principle and that right. sort of thing. That's basically the, all there is. It's like yeah, accumulate accumulation plus NAP, which you know obviously doesn't make any sense. But it's like there practice. is there is a role for government in that politics in that like it governs over contracts. It governs on, over like voluntary contracts that people agree to. There the the government is the enforcement mechanism that just enforces contract law and private property law. And I think in in anarcho-capitalism that you don't even have that. I okay. could be wrong. Okay. But, it, you know, it's just, it's just like, well, that's what you would use. Whatever, like, withered away state exists under anarcho-capitalism, you would use that mechanism to uh, to police somebody who is infringing on your your private ownership of the idea of an anarcho-poco. So I, it doesn't sound like such an absurd yeah. uh, hypothetical that he that he presents it as. Yeah. Um, Last yeah, it would have been a, it yeah, been a cool ahead. move. It would have been a cool move. 
Last last thing in this episode uh, is um, Lily talking about the deteriorating relationship between uh, her and John and I guess Jason probably and Paul as well with uh, the rest of the Anarchapoco organizers, how they're just like not welcome at any events. They're they're uh, like whispering in each other's ears about how bad Lily and John are, about how they're like wreckers, about how they got a free ride to Anarchapoco and now they're just complaining the whole time. Um, and they're bitter. That's why they started Anarchapoco. Forco is because they did it out of spite. Um, and uh, Lily says, you know, I thought it was just going to be weird forever between us. And, and then eventually one of us would uh, leave when it got too weird. And then she goes, which is uh, kind of what ended up happening. Uh, but it had to get really weird. And what she means is uh, the Mexican cartel kills John. Yeah. It's what yeah. she means by uh, it got weird. <laughs> he says, how weird? She goes, well, murder weird. Yeah, and she laughs because she's talking about yeah. the cartel killing her partner. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and that's that's where we leave the episode. Amazing, amazing. These characters, these audacious yeah. characters. I really like this episode. I, f- I feel like it, uh, it was just magnificent watching a bunch of people who fucked around find out and uh, exposing, like, in my in my mind, directly to the viewer the flaws inherent in anarcho-capitalism or libertarianism. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Like on full display. It's, it's just great watching it happen. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Andy, uh, before we leave, man, I really want to eat at Verde vegan. I'm sure it's right. A very generic vegan restaurant. And I don't like the attitude of the owners, but, uh, I do <laughs> like, I do really like that kind of, uh, you know, generic Latin American vegan cuisine. Yeah, when you go there, be like, I'm an anarchist. And they'll be like, oh, cool. And you're like, no, the bad kind. And they're like, Yeah, the, the kind that blocks traffic. <laughs> yeah, kind of blocks traffic, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thanks so much uh, for doing the episode. You uh, you have a book that we've plugged on the show before, but I... I it's I, called I... I Want to Believe. It's about Posadism and UFOs and communism. And you can also listen to my podcast, The Antifada. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Please do that. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Peace. Okay.